The following podcast is brought to you by Pathways Church. For more information, visit www.pathwayschurch.us. Thanks for joining us for this message from our weekend service. Every week we're hearing stories about how God is moving in people's lives. So if you have a story to share, email us at info at pathwayschurch.us. We'd love to hear from you about how God is working in your life. Good morning, Pathways Church. How are we? Good, 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 good. How many of you were thankful when you woke up this morning and you saw snow out there? That's for, yeah, I wondered because you live here and you're like, oh, snow. And then some of you seem to love it. I'm from Orlando, Florida. And so I was like a tourist this morning. I was like, what is that on the ground? It's amazing. You know, I'm taking pictures. This is incredible. Uh, and, you know, also just really grateful that I'm going to leave tomorrow. And... <laughs> Not have to shovel anything. Um, anyhow, it's great to be here with you. I just got to take a minute and say, though, like, um, one of our worship leaders here, Emily specifically, what a gift she is. I mean, like, she's anointed. Yes. And I, I mean it. Like, you got, you got, you've got, like, the best singer in Wisconsin here at Pathways Church. That's awesome. I was telling Adam earlier, I was like, at some point, you got to, like, give her a month off so that everyone can appreciate her more. Um, because you don't want to get used to that like it's normal. Uh, she's anointed and gifted and just does a great job. And uh, I'm so thankful to be here this morning. I've had a blast uh, coming up to Pathways this fall and uh, I'm getting to spend some great time with my good friend, Pastor Adam, who's here with us this morning. Let's give him a big hand. Yes. I love Adam. I, I've loved getting getting to hang out with him, uh, talk football, sometimes argue football, um, and, and, and just catch up. He's one of those friends where it's, I walk through the door and we pick up right where we left off the last time we were here, and uh, just awesome conversations about ministry and life and, and, uh, and Jesus. You know, I, Adam said some things to me last night that just made me want to love Jesus more because of how much he loves Jesus, and so it's a, it's a privilege. So, so many wins for me getting to be here. Um, now, we're in this series called Behold Him where we are looking at uh, really the central figures of the Christmas event, okay? And so um, how many of you know that, what, well, I'll just ask this question, what is the, the uh, item we all have in our homes that brings all of the figures from the Christmas event together in one place? The nativity, yeah, so we got it right away. The nativity, right? So we have these nativities all around, so I thought, you know what, I'm going to do some research on the nativity. And what I learned is that there are all sorts of nativities, Tons of nativities that you can buy. And so this morning, I want to share with you what some of these nativities are. So let's take a look. The first one here is uh, trolls. Did you, did you know that there's a nativity of trolls? Let's look at another one here. I've got, I've got a bunch of these. There's the goose nativity, wherein Jesus is a little rubber ducky. That's precious. All right, we got a few more. Let's keep going. We got the penguin nativity. For those of you who are big fans of that movie, Happy Feet. Um, all right, let's, let's, let's keep going here. We've got, the, for the religious dog lover, um, so if you're somebody who are dogs like your family, you've got that, and Jesus is a puppy. Um, let's keep going. We've got, oh, this one's, I just put just weird on this one because it's, it's, it's Ikea. Uh, so this is what happens when the Swiss get involved. And uh, we've got a pink donkey and a blonde Jesus. All right, a couple more. Let's take a look at a couple more. We've got the actual rubber duckies for those of you who want to take a bath with your nativity. Um, you can just put these all in and your kids can play. Uh, we've got the moose, right? And I think we're going to move now to my favorite one. Uh, this is the newest one. This is the hipster nativity. Yep, they're getting a selfie with Jesus in the manger. You've got Amazon packages. Very funny. And then the last two here are edible. 
Uh, so we've got the s'mores nativity. Uh, that's adorable. So if you want to eat your nativity. And then finally, I don't know if this is for sale. Someone just made this. Um, I think it's like in a bed of sauerkraut. I, it's just anyhow. So why, why do I show these this morning? Well, I know that there's two reactions when we see some of this. Some is the good-hearted nature of, of just, that's really funny. We laugh at it because it's so ridiculous. And then there's some of us in here that are going like, ew, why, like, why'd they do that? To, why'd they do that to the nativity? What, like, what's up with that? Why, why are we taking this amazing historical event that really happened? Like, I don't often refer to the Christmas story as a story, because I don't want it to be equated with a fairy tale. It really happened. That's what we believe. And the nativity in, in, is, a, is a wonderful tool. It's something that we, I think we should all have. I, have, I keep actually a nativity in my office all year long. It's one I picked up when I was in Israel, and it's made out of olive wood, and it has, it has some different looks than the normal nativity. But I keep it there because I think that really when Jesus came to earth, when God became human at that point, it was the greatest event in history. There was no greater event that had ever happened in the history of the world than God becoming a man, ever. The only event that's greater than that is when that same God died on the cross and was resurrected for our sins, amen? That's the only event that's greater than the one we celebrate at Christmas. And so it, it's important. It's a great tool. It's good to look at the nativity. Now, the nativity is not perfect. Uh, there are some historical inaccuracies. The shepherds don't show up at the same time as the wise men. We don't know if there were three wise men. Um, but it's, I think it's a really helpful, useful tool for us. Like For example, just in the historical accuracy, I thought it was so interesting when I got a chance to go to Israel and I learned what a manger was. Now, if you've got a nativity, your manger is, is, is like a cross like this of, of pieces of wood with hay in the middle of it, right? But I want to show you a picture here of what an actual manger looks like. So you have a steel trap there. That's a well. But the circular piece of stone here that's carved out, that's where water would be put. And that water would then be used to feed the flocks. That's a manger, you got a couple other pictures here. That, this is a bigger manger, a larger one. You can still find these. They were literally carved out of stone over the last thousands of years, well, the last couple thousand years, and they're still in Israel. You can find them because shepherds worked. And we have a baby in a manger. Now, I love this picture because it does give you a little bit of an idea of what was that picture like for us? Now, how many of you have nativities where the manger is made out of stone? <laughs> Probably none of us. And so there's, there's, it's kind of just a cool historical understanding that while it's not all perfect, and there's things we can still learn, you might be wondering why is it stone? Well, in Israel, there's like no trees. Uh, the forests are very thin there, so, but there's tons of stones. So when we, when we take the nativity, I think what, what's, what's incumbent upon me as a pastor and, and us as Christians is to ask in this Christmas event, what's real? Not what culture has done with it. Not, not the kind of commercialized versions of it. But what's the real event? Who are the real figures from the story? And so we're looking at the figures through the series, Behold Him. And we're going to a passage, specifically Isaiah 9-6, that reads this. A prophecy in the, the whole chapter of 9, you should go read it. It really speaks to Jesus coming. But verse, verse 6 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, as was saying so beautifully. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And so I, our hope is that in this season, that you will behold God as these things, as the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. You'll experiencing that, experiencing Him in that way. 
And so today I'm going to be looking at the central figure of Mary. But before I get to that, I want to talk about this term, Prince of Peace. What, is, what does it mean? What is Prince of Peace? Prince obviously gives this understanding of authority. But what does peace mean in this term? What is this term? Well, the Hebrew term for peace is the word shalom. Anybody ever heard that before? The word shalom? How many of you like watching the show The Chosen? Any Chosen fans in here? I hope you would all watch that show. I think it's, it's a fantastic picture of, the, of the, really the empathy and humanity of Jesus along with his divinity. But in that show, what you'll see is that people greet each other all the time with the word shalom. And so it was a common greeting. It continues, remains to be a common greeting. Um, in Israel today, people will greet each other and say shalom. So what are they saying when they say this? Well, the definition we get, the words that, uh, uh, that would go along with, with describing what shalom is, is completeness soundness, welfare, or good welfare, and wholeness. And then, of course, the word peace. And so when you would say shalom to somebody else, what you're saying is is that I hope for you that you are experiencing good welfare and peace and wholeness in your your life, soundness of mind. And so it it was a wonderful greeting. It's a great thing to say to somebody, an expression like that. It's a little deeper than, what's up, right? What's up? I guess how we tend to greet each other with nods and shakes and grunts of our heads. They would say shalom to one another. Well, I believe that Mary was a, a, a young woman who really possessed the shalom of God. I, I don't think that we have a young woman here who is terrified, uh, trembling, who is nervous. I, not that she wouldn't have had some of those feelings, but I think that one of the reasons God chooses Mary is one, because of her insignificant stature in the world, but two, because of her substantial, like, internal wholeness, her fortitude, her faith. And so she, he, he didn't come to a weak young woman. He came to a young woman who believed in God and had a deep and abiding faith as a result of that. But she had small stature in the world. The world didn't look at Mary and say, wow, I'm impressed. C.S. Lewis said it was the most outrageous and fantastic idea that the salvation of the world would come through a young, poor, small-town Jewish girl. Now, there's a lot of confusion about Mary. I won't talk a long time about it, but Mary's a a controversial figure because of the way that she's been treated throughout the ages, throughout history. For example, in the Middle Ages, the practice grew of praying to saints like Mary, and Mary became an especially popular person to pray to. We have a picture here uh, that you'll see of Mary, and you notice that there's a halo behind the baby, but there's also a halo behind Mary. The reason for that is that in the artwork of this time, the halo represented divinity. You see, they they looked at Mary and they said, well, if she's the mother of God, then the mother of God must also possess some type of divinity, which we don't believe. And in fact, um, when we start to make Mary divine and we start to pray to her, what we're actually doing is we're minimizing the event itself, that God came to work through one of us, not somebody who is divine, not somebody that we pray to, now, they would pray to, to Mary. One of the motivations was is that the, the, the Catholic Church at that time started to present Jesus as this legalistic, harsh person. And so um, they would pray to Mary because she seemed soft and empathetic and loving. And so they would pray to Mary hoping that she would talk to her son. And so I understand where the mentality comes from, but it doesn't make it right. And so when we, when we look at her, we have to ask, well, why, why, why would they do that? And they would do it because... We have a tendency to want to take our heroes and make them bigger than they were. Mary was one of us. 
In fact, just one more little historical fact. It was in the fourth century there arose a legend that Mary had been assumed into heaven, like Enoch or Elijah, meaning that she didn't ever die. And in fact, in 1950, Pope Pius XII defined this in his constitution. When we start to do these things to Mary, we miss out on the fact that she was really just a 12 to 14-year-old girl. The actual movie that's titled The Nativity gives us a picture of Mary that I think is a wonderful one, one that we should probably embrace and look at and go, yeah, she was probably a lot more like this. She was a young woman who believed in Jesus but had not yet experienced all that much of the world. And God used her in her insignificant stature to reach us. So let's look at the call to Mary. What happens that brings her into this event? Luke 1, 26 through 38 reads this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that's Mary's cousin, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth to the town of Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God, and you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. One of the reasons I think that the, um, and I'll get into this more, that, that the angel could say all of these things to her in such specific detail is that Mary would understand it meaning that she knew about the prophecies of Jesus. But she asks a question because Mary, as we're going to find, is very thoughtful and very intelligent. She says, how will this be? And scholars think she's asking, is Joseph going to be involved? What does this look like? She says, I, I, I'm a virgin. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She would be the mother of John the Baptist. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is already in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. That's such an important line. No word from God will ever fail. Mary answered, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. I love this account. I hope it's something that you read and, and, and go over often at Christmas. But when I look at this and what she was invited into, God's call, uh, what I felt this morning would be important for us was to say, how did she respond? What does Mary do after finding out that the Son of God is going to be conceived inside of her and she's going to be the mother to this child? How does she respond? And there's four responses I want to take you through. The first one is that she's rooted in the Word of God or she turns to the word of God. And we see this because right after the angel leaves her, she goes to her cousin. She finds out that her cousin, who is an old woman at this time and had been barren for many years, is in, in her sixth month of pregnancy. She's like, I've got to go talk to her. She's the only one that's going to understand what's going on with me. And when she walks into the room, Scripture says that the babe uh, that was inside Elizabeth leapt in her womb, and she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she speaks out, and then Mary responds with a song. And this is part of her song. So let's look at a portion of the song right now. Verse 50, chapter 1. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud uh, in, in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He, God, has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel 
remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Now, scholars would tell you when you study this, they'll point out that there were two songs that were sung in the Old Testament by women specifically. They're attributed to them. One was by Miriam, who is the, the sister of Moses, and the other is by Hannah. Hannah was a woman who was barren, and, uh, and God promises to give her a child. And that child would become Samuel, one of the most important prophets and leaders in Israel's history. And each of them sing a song to the Lord in celebration. For Miriam, it was in celebration of being rescued. And for Hannah, it was in celebration of the gift of having a child. And when we read of, of Mary's song, what we find is that she's mirroring theirs without totally copying it. Which means that she knew the songs. She knew the scripture. She knew the Hebrew Bible, what we would call the Old Testament today. And she's singing it. But it's just like jazz. Now, one of the things I love about jazz is that while uh, great jazz players, while they know the melody, they end up knowing the melody so well that they start to do what? Improvise. And they make it their own. And so what does Mary do? She starts with this song in even a similar pattern, and then she improvises. And she starts playing the keys her own way. And so she brings in elements of the Psalms. So when, she, when she's talking about God being a rescuer and of taking down arrogant leaders from their thrones and raising up the humble, when she talks about God being a helper to the servant Israel, she's bringing in all, like a bunch of different themes and elements from the Psalms that, that were what? They were living inside of her already. She wasn't guessing because she was somebody who was, in fact, a student of the word, who knew God's word and promise, God's words and promises. And so when I see this, I ask myself, you know, what, is, what does this mean for us here in this time? What is, what, are we taking the word of God and how is it impacting the way that we view Christmas, the way that we experience Christmas? As we're going through the season, you know, I... I've, I've chosen uh, to try to be rooted in the Word of God in my home to make sure that the actual Christmas event, the way it's recorded in Matthew and Luke, is something that's read in our home. And so it's a simple practice, but when we, when we uh, on Christmas Eve, we get together on Christmas Eve um, as a family specifically to read one of the accounts. And then the next morning, we'll read the other. And so it might be Matthew and then, and then, and then Luke the next morning. And why do we do this? Well, it wasn't because I wanted to torture my kids and keep them from opening their presents too soon. <laughs> but I wanted them to understand this is a real event in our lives. And it's the most important thing. And so when they would come down on Christmas morning, yeah, we'd let them see the tree and they'd be excited. But we'd say, hey, listen, before any gift is going to be exchanged, we're going to go back again and we're going to remember this event. And we're going to give thanks to God for what he's done. We've always made it a habit to be a part of Christmas Eve services. Because the church that we attend and we're a part of, the Christmas Eve services remind us in stirring fashion, right? And with great musical elements, but it reminds us of this event. It reminds us that the truth of the word of God is what comes first in our home and in our life. We're supposed to be people who are rooted in the word. Now, let's move on to the second response. The second response is that she believed it. She believed it. She believed the word of God. When she runs into Elizabeth in verse 45, Elizabeth looks at her and says, Blessed is she who has believed that the word would be, that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. She's saying, Blessed is she who has believed. She saw in her cousin, You believe this. And we see in Mary's answer when she says to the angel, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. This was a woman who believed. 
she took the word that was there and she said, this is real. And sometimes I worry is, is, because of the, the direction that our culture takes us, if we get away from believing that this really happened. So one of the reasons I don't use the word story often when I talk about the Christmas event, because it's not just a story. It's not a fairy tale. We really believe that the God of the universe became human flesh. And he did that so that he could unite us together with him so that we could experience the forgiveness of our sins and that we could figure out what God's like. Not in in a distant way, but in an up-close personal fashion of what Jesus is really like. Our culture tends to, I think they tend to frame Christmas in a few ways. One is um, Christmas is about family, very good thing. Christmas is about food, also a very good thing. I don't know how many of you have a favorite dish at Christmas, but on Christmas morning in my house, um, it's, it's cinnamon rolls. Every Christmas morning for the last 20 years, it's like we wake up in the morning and there's a smell of cinnamon rolls in the house. It's one of the first things that's going on. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus, for cinnamon rolls. It's a beautiful smell. It's a wonderful thing. It's, it's, food's a good thing. But culture basically says Christmas is about family, Christmas is about food, and Christmas is about presents. And while each one of those things are important, special, meaningful, none of them evil, they fall really short of what Christmas is really about. Amen? It's about so much more, isn't it? That, that, that's like ankle-deep, shallow waters. We're called to wade into the deep end of that. And so I'd encourage you, you know, to spend time in the Christmas event reading the accounts and asking yourself, what was it like to be Mary? What was it like to be Joseph? What was it like to be the shepherds to whom the angels appeared? And let God speak to you. All right, I went a little too long on that one. Let me move on. There's a couple others I want to hit with you that are really important. I love this next one. She was grateful for her role. At the very beginning of her song, Mary says these words, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And she says these words, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. So when we, when we understand the word of God and we believe the word of God, it frames the whole experience of life that we're having right now. Sometimes when we're in really difficult uh, circumstances, when we're going through some really tough things in life, it can be hard to understand where God is, what God's doing, and what he's called us to do like what our role in it is, especially if there's like uncertainty about the future. But because she understood the word of God and she believed it, she was able to see her role and be grateful for it. She literally says, as a 14-year-old girl, 12 to 14 years old, generations are going to count me blessed. That's a pretty deep thing for a teenager to recognize the scene that she was in. And she could do it because of the, the word of God residing in her and her faith in God. But it also gives her this perspective to say, man, God's good. God's powerful. God's going to be with me in the midst of this. And so with all that, all that works together to help her be grateful for her role. So when I think during the Christmas season about my role, I've got several. I'm, I'm a son to my mom and dad and to my in-laws. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm an uncle. I'm not a grandpa yet. That'll come. I look forward to that day, just not too soon. But for those of you who are grandparents, that's a gift to be a grandpa during this time, a grandma and grandma. It's a real gift. 
And the question is, are you thankful for that role? Are you grateful for it? Are you grateful for the role God's given you to play in the workplace or in your neighborhood, in your friendships? For some of you, it's your relationships here at Pathway and the role that you have as you serve here. Are you grateful for your role? Do you look at it and say, you know what? People should look at me and count me blessed because of the role I get to play right now. I think there's an important place for us to recognize the value of where God has us in the season of life he has us and say, God, thank you for that role. It might be a hard season. Understand something. Mary knew, and I really believe, I don't think she knew the full gravity of it, but she knew that that what she was going to go through is going to be very challenging, that she was going to be a young woman at age 14 who was going to be pregnant without having a husband. She, 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 like with a reputation, she got pregnant before wedlock. She knew that was going to be difficult. And she's saying, count, God counts me blessed. Do you count yourself grateful? Do you count yourself blessed? The last, last response I want to share with you this morning that really speaks to me, and it's my absolute favor, is this. She treasured God's activities. That's, treasured is an interesting word. We don't use it very often. I don't, you know, I don't just say, you know what, I treasure you. <laughs> it's, like it's not, well, I'm really treasuring this. It's not a word we use real often. But in scripture, we see that Mary on multiple occasions, it says that she treasured and she pondered things. So like, for example, in Luke 2.18, it says, all who heard it were amazed. This is the report of the shepherds. Were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. When Jesus is 12 years old and he goes to the temple and um, uh, Mary and Joseph lose him, which is really like they, they lost Jesus. When they, when they lose Jesus and they can't find him as a 12-year-old and they find that he was at the temple and he was speaking to the, to the rabbis that were there and people were amazed at his understanding, um, it says that Mary took all these things and she treasured them in her heart. She pondered them. Well, what does it mean? That treasuring or pondering mean that she, means that she recognized how important what was happening and she held on to it dearly. And, and I believe that she held on to it for all of her life. That she, she saw that this has to be God, and I don't want to let go of what was God. One of the reasons that we know this is that when you read the account in Luke of what Mary goes through, Luke does something interesting with her that he doesn't do with a lot of other people that he writes about. He records her emotions. Now, how could he record her emotions? He's not Mary. Many believe that Luke interviewed Mary and that she had so treasured these events in her heart that the account that we have in Luke of the shepherds and of the angels speaking to her was, were her own words. That she was saying, here's what the angel said to me and here's how it made me feel. Why? Because she she's held on to these things. And sometimes too often we just forget about what God's done in our life this year. I think it's important to look back at Christmas and and like we can at Thanksgiving as well, but at Christmas to look back and say, look at what God did. There's two ways I think that we can treasure. One, we can treasure what God's done for all of us, right? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, right? Uh, So that whoever would believe on him would have eternal life, would not perish, but have eternal life. He did that for all of us. We need to sit in our chair time and just say, Lord, thank you for coming. Thank you for the gift of that. But there's, there's an, I, I think, another invitation individually to look at it and say, God, what have you done in my life this year? What have you done in my life lately? And to be grateful and thankful for the season that we're in and for the activity in our life and to hold on to it. Now, I'm, I'm sure some of you have already gotten out your Christmas, you know, decorations. 
I don't know how many of you are those type of people who are like right after Halloween, you like immediately put up Christmas decorations. In my neighborhood, November 1st is like fair game. And people just start putting up Christmas stuff. Uh, others, there, in, in, in my family, the tradition is, is not till Thanksgiving. You got to let the turkey have its day. And then you start decorating. And, uh, but one of my favorite things to do during that time is to set up our Christmas tree. I don't really love the outdoor decorations so much. I do that because I love my wife. Um, and I'm just like, I love you. I will do that. But I, but I do love the tree. And one of the reasons I love the tree is what we started with our family when our boys were very, very young was this tradition that as a family, we would go out and we would buy, uh, we'd each buy an ornament every year. And we would ask the kids uh, when they were old enough to understand it, we'd ask them to pick out an ornament that represented the year. And then our church also did some cute things and uh, where we'd get like these little ornaments, so, like baby pictures of our kids around, you know, a wreath or, you know, a, a manger and all that. And we'd, those are adorable to get out. But I love the memories that are brought up when we bring that Christmas tree out. And, and one by one, as we put one on, we, we, we hold it up and like, do you remember this one, son? Remember why you picked this? Do you remember what this one represents? Do you remember where we lived when we bought that one? Do you remember where, what we were doing during this season? We've got some goofy ornaments. One's just like a set of bananas. You know, like my kids had some fun with what they picked. And I'd say, tell me the banana story again. If you want to know the banana story, ask me later. Um, but we, we, we cherish these things. We, we, like it's, it's meaningful to us. They, we treasure them. And I, I think in the same way that, that we treasure those ornaments, we need to treasure what God has done in our lives. And in a season like this, what does that help us do? Well, it's the theme of what we're talking about all, all of December. It helps us to behold him, to look at him and say, he's the mighty God. He's the wonderful counselor. He's the prince of peace. We're able to behold him. He's the everlasting father. My hope and prayer for you in this season is that he can be those things for you, that you can behold him and experience him. And I think if you'll commit, if you'll commit to responding the way that Mary did, you can enter into that same joy that she had. So I want to do something I, I love to do during messages, and that is just really create a moment for the Holy Spirit to speak to each one of us. And so I want to invite you, if you feel comfortable, right where you're at, just to close your eyes for a minute. And I just want to walk you back through these four responses with this question. Is God inviting you to respond in one of these ways to this season of life that you're in, to the circumstances that you're facing? Is he inviting you to turn to the word right now, to be rooted in, to remember what God's word says? Perhaps God's inviting you to believe that the word of God is true. It's not just for other people, it's, it's true for you. Maybe God is specifically inviting you to be grateful for your role. To be, to be thankful for the place and the season that God has you in, even if it's really hard. To be grateful for your role. And finally, is God bringing to mind something right now that you need to treasure? Some way that he's been active in your story this year. Is he inviting you to treasure the Christmas event that God came down to earth in the form of a baby? Just take a moment and let that breathe. Listen for just a second. See if God doesn't bring to mind a thought or a picture or a person that he wants to speak to you about.
if this morning what I've been talking about is a little foreign to you, you haven't made a commitment to serve Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, but having someone in your life that's the Prince of Peace sounds like something you want. You want to know the everlasting Father. You can do that this morning. And so I'm just going to lead a prayer right now. And if that's a decision you want to make, I want to encourage you uh, to pray along with me in your heart and to ask Jesus to be the Prince of Peace in your life. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your only son, Jesus, to be a vulnerable little baby in a manger. But then to go on and live a, a perfect life, a life that shows us what you're like, and then to die on the cross and be resurrected on the third day. Thank you for the good news of that. So Lord, I just pray right now for anybody who's not made a decision to follow you, that right now here in their heart, they would simply come to you and say, Lord, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I've done a lot of things that were wrong, and I ask that you forgive me. And I'm asking that because I believe that you're good and that you're capable of forgiving me, and I want to be in a relationship with you. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and was resurrected on the third day, and I want to put my hope and faith and trust in him from this day forward. Thank you, Lord, for that in the name of Jesus. Everybody said... Amen and amen. Can you give the Lord a hand clap this morning? God's good.